0: You're listening to the Packer Net Podcast Network.
1: Actually, it's the it's the lead play on our in our offense. You come with tackle, take the defensive he's over the attack, you drive down the first man who is inside. You pull back and come in, make the first man outside the offense right. No one shows. You're right by this concealed inside. If the YN has the
2: linebacker taken out, he cuts inside. If the YN has the linebacker in, he comes
1: all the way around. If you look at this play, we'll be trying to get him a seal here and a seal here and try to run this play in the alley.
3: What's up, gang? Welcome into Packers Total Access. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on packer.net.com. You can find me on Twitter at packers underscore access. And joined alongside Jacob from the Packernet Fantasy Podcast. We got Tim live in Green Bay. I got starting to show off disastrous. I don't have my football on the table, and I, I feel naked right now. Like I got to have the football that I can have in my hand. It's driving me absolutely insane. But Jacob, how are you doing, buddy? Doing all right. Doing all right. It's uh, it's Monday, right? Yeah, it's Monday. Monday night
2: football going down. I'm excited. Going a little bit early. Clayton's probably jumping off to grab his football right now because he's like a dog. <laughs> <laughs> literally can't have. Maybe the, dog, maybe the dog's got the ball. Yeah. Uh, Why are you feeling, Tim? What do you I
3: think? i rip that ball out of that dog's hands so cool. <laughs> right, Go ahead, James, sir. Oh, no.
2: I was just asking Tim how he's doing and what he th- uh, thinks about tonight. I think – is it – I don't know if you guys are uh, up on the uh, down low, but it looks like Deuce Bond may not play tonight. Not sure if that's a, gonna affect anybody's fantasy or anybody's betting, but um, so Tony was texting me, so maybe keep an eye on that. But uh, should be a good game tonight. Kind of don't really know what I think about the Chargers, but dude, Keenan Allen's a beast. I just know that that dude's a freak.
3: Yeah, they've got some bad coaching out there with the Chargers. That's my personal opinion. Some of the analytical stuff he does going forward on fourth down and everything—I think he's cost this team so many wins. But I don't follow him that close. I just based that off of seeing the highlights and going, what in the world was he thinking? But, yeah, it should be a good ball game though. I'm excited to see how Dallas responds, see if they're legit or not. But, yeah. Um, Tim, who you got tonight, man, Chargers or the Cowboys?
0: Uh, you know, I'm a defensive dude, so I, I think maybe it's a, a bounce-back game for that Dallas D. That's all mm-hmm. I can think of. Uh, so I guess I'm leaning towards Dallas as much as that makes my stomach gurgle to even say that. <laughs> Um, but uh yeah, I don't know. I might half pay attention to the game. Who knows? I, I got I was like doing like 10 different things today and uh I was running late and I'm like, oh yeah, there's a there's a game on tonight. <laughs> it's like I kind of <laughs> slipped my mind, but uh I guess yeah, right off the cuff, probably Dallas. I'll take. What's yeah. uh what's the line on the game? That's a great question, and one
3: that I don't have an answer to, Tim. Maybe maybe Jacob quick. knows that. Was it would you say, Jacob? I'll find it quick. All right, cool. Um, we got Omar in the chat said, Packers lose to the Broncos. Barry and Matt going to be working at McDonald's soon. He said, da da da, da da So, Turtle says a, a symbol. Like it. We got the uh, PTA posse in the house in here. Zane, to, uh,
2: real quick, according to ESPN right now, Dallas is only uh, minus 1.5 favorites. which
3: mm, Okay. Oh, nice. surprising. That'd be interesting yeah. for sure. Um, let's do this, man. Let's kind of talk a little West Coast offense. And you know, there's been a lot of a lot of communication here this past week about this offense. And you know, some people are calling for uh, calling for Matt Lafleur to be fired, right? Um, others are uh, still blaming Joe Barry. <laughs> and and I think there's just plenty of uh, I don't know, there's plenty of blame to go around, both players and coaches, everyone across the board. Um, but when you talk about this West Coast offense, one of the things that got unveiled here last week and and I don't know who started the rumor. Actually, I do, because it was me. Um, I heard, <laughs> I heard other podcasters say that Matt LaFleur doesn't script his uh, his plays in, on the openers, right? And and there's many people that don't know what that means, and that's okay. You know, there was a long time that I didn't know what that meant. But basically, <clears throat> there's been a staple in the West Coast offense, uh I mean, all the way back, really, to the best of my understanding, all the way back to Cincinnati when Bill Walsh was the O.C. in Cincinnati, where they would have quote-unquote openers, okay? They would script their first 10 or 15 plays. And what that means is – they would already have it laid out, like, "Hey, we know what our game plan is going into the game, right? Like, okay, this is how we're going to attack their defense. Let's go ahead and set up. We're going to run these ten or fifteen plays, okay? And if you read the, any of the Bill Walsh books, you know, take or uh, not take it off the ball, but uh, uh, the score takes care of itself. Um, you know, the Football Bible, which has a different name that people refer to it as, but um, he talks about this type of stuff, right? And and the goal with those openers is, okay, we're going to give our offense an advantage. We're going to give them the advantage of knowing exactly what plays we're going to run as soon as we come out of the gate. Now, like he mentioned in the score takes care of itself, he said that doesn't mean that we're going to run those plays in sequence because we might, you know, the opening drive, the other team may have the ball. They may turn the ball over. We get good field position and we have to go to our inside the 20 chart, right? But you've got plays that are still on that play call sheet that fall under that category. So he would, he said, I might go to play, you know, play nine right since we were so far down the field depending on the field position and go nine ten eleven twelve and then the next drive come back we play one two three four like that right but the goal is you starting at your 20 here's the first 15 plays right and it was designed to attack a defense specifically okay so with that being said it kind of caught me off guard when i heard jason wilde say that the packers don't script their plays he said well they he said they script it but they they script ideas And I was like, what in the hell does that mean, scripting ideas? And it it sounds like concepts. So basically meaning, hey, look, guys, we're going to attack this team with these concepts. We're going to run, you know, let's say a, uh, uh, you know, whatever. I'm trying to think of one here, a Dagger Ohio concept, right? Dagger on one side, Ohio on the other. And then, you know, when we come out, look for those plays coming out, you know, on the opening drive. Well, that's way different from what Bill Walsh had envisioned in the openers, where the players know the exact play to a tee. That doesn't mean you can't have a can in that play, you have a can to a run or a pass out of that, but that's the play call, and those guys could prepare for it, right? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to share the screen here real quick, and I'm going to play a couple of audio clips for you guys. This one, first of all, was where I heard it at, okay? So this is going to be Jason Wildy talking about with Homer, and just overlook Homer. Homer is one of those fans <laughs> – I mean, I like him. I do. I think he's, I think he's good at what he does. Right? He's he's kind of the the older fan, the quirky one. On the surface, he doesn't dig into the X and O's. And if if that's something you're not interested in, you shouldn't either. Right? Not every fan is the same. I don't want to tell anybody how to fan, but you'll hear him. He just tries to go over the top with everything. He's you know all of his opinions. But here is where I first heard that they're not scripting the plays. They're scripting ideas. But here we go. He should have no play. They should not set up. Doesn't he script
0: the
4: first plays, 10, 15? they all do that still? They, they, they
3: yeah, don't, he should they not
0: do it. Plays like Homer, they, they, have, uh, they have opening ideas and concepts, not necessarily. Yeah.
4: They should have no players, opening but... ideas. He should walk out on the field with no idea
0: what he's going to do.
3: He... All right, so obviously that was Homer being kind of over the top, right? You guys heard that, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, Cool. So that was Homer being over the top with his opinion there. And he's saying, well, we're so bad coming out with these openers. He should just forget that and just go out there. That's actually kind of what they're doing when they're just, you know, scripting <laughs> concepts. All right. So I'm going to go now to a Bill Walsh video from a football life. Bill Walsh. You guys can watch it for free online um, right here on YouTube. I'm going to go ahead and share the screen once more and show you guys this. Um, with uh, with Bill Walsh of football life, and again, this is kind of talks about its origination, not not its total origination, but you'll get the gist when you hear this uh, video. And it, it's kind of cool because you got Mike, or you got a uh, uh, Bill Parcells talking about how Bill Walsh would even use the openers and lie about their communications going out, their headset going out, because the rules said that if one team's he- headsets go out, their comms go out, the other team had to put their
4: headset down too. <laughs> Check this out is a fitting way for an author to beat an opponent. And it was on paper with his scripting of plays that Walsh prepared for his weekly battle.
1: We'll open the game through this
0: right here. It was funny because it initially started as, our, as the first 10 plays and
1: it ended up like 25, sometimes 26. Because in Bill's mind, I can script the whole game if I could get players that would do what I told them to do.
4: Scripting plays can be even more effective when you claim your coach's headphones don't work at the start of a game.
1: We knew they scripted plays. Well, we lost the toss in 85, and we knew they were going to get the ball, and then all of a sudden their phones went out. Now, you know, the, the league man said, you you got to put your phones down when the other team's phones go out. So it was just a coincidence that they got these plays scripted. They know what they're going to do, and then their phones go out. We were kind of <laughs> like... I don't want to say caught off guard by that, but we had to make some very quick adjustments. I kind of thought that that was a little bit calculated on their part. Getting ready to play them the next year in the playoff. And I said to Bill, these phones go out again to start the game. I said, I'm going to expose you. Okay. He looked at me with a little wink and he says, just a little gamesmanship. And I said, I understand.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I love it, dude. I absolutely love it. It doesn't get any better than that. So I I wanted to play that video so you could hear Joe Montana say, you know, it started with 10 plays and then it turned to 15, and he would script the whole game if you would let him, right? And, you know, the reason I pointed that out was because that's a staple in this West Coast offense. You know, Bill Walsh did it, right, in San Francisco. Well, Mike Holmgren comes from San Francisco to Green Bay. He scripts the openers, right? You know, when Mike Holmgren left, and Mike Sherman took over, Mike Sherman was not of the quote-unquote – I guess he was from the West Coast tree, but he was more of a power run type guy. Same thing. They scripted the opening plays. Matt LaFleur, when Mike McCarthy took over, he was a stickler for those scripted opening plays. And then, of course, Matt LaFleur is from the same West Coast – the West Coast tree. Now, he comes from a little bit different branch because I'm going to try to remember this on the spot. I don't have it in my notes. But Matt LaFleur, coach coach under Kyle Shanahan, right? Kyle Shanahan coached under his dad, Mike Shanahan. Mike Shanahan coached under uh, Bill Walsh out in uh, – Bill Walsh and uh, um, the the other coach after him. I can't remember his name. He was the defensive coordinator anyway. Um, so that's where he comes from, right? And he took it to Denver, and he inserted uh, Alex Gibbs's outside zone run. He said, all right, we're going to run the West Coast offense, but we're going to add an outside zone scheme run so we can get the defense flowing – you know, laterally and be able to, you know, move, move the, move the chess pieces around laterally, if you will, and open up the middle of the field, that type of thing. So with that being said, um, I got an image right here. I'm going to share and I want to get your all's take. All right. I'm going to read this. I'm going to try to read it in a manner that it doesn't bore everyone to death. But this right here is Bill Walsh on scripting openers. Okay. Bill Walsh was the first to talk about a method of scripting plays, which he called openers. He believed that the players enjoyed knowing, uh, enjoyed knowing what the first plays of the game would be. Um, it made them comfortable. Walsh believed in ten to fifteen opening plays, but his script would often go into the twenties. <laughs> Here are some of uh, some more thoughts from quote the genius, uh, which was his nickname by the way, uh, concerning the opening script method. One, scripting openers allows the coach to make decisions in a, a detached and thoughtful manner. Even the best play callers work better ahead of time um, where they have the opportunity to think about the possible contingencies and, or that would occur, could occur in the game. All right. Number two, it allows the coach to determine the proper balance between running plays and passing plays. Whoo, That one hit home right there a couple weeks ago and on early downs. If the coach wants a 50, 50 balance, the opening script gives him a method to do so. Scripting openers allows the coach to be more creative in his team's personnel groupings early in the game by having the offensive sequence planned ahead of time. The offense can use specific personnel for specific plays and have it planned and practiced ahead of time. Uh, Number four, it enables the defense to determine early in the game how the defense will react to specific formation and personnel groupings. A great way to determine the opponent's game plan. The offense can anticipate the defensive game plan adjustments and have some counters ready to go. All right, number five, allows the coaching staff to see how the defense will defend certain plays or play sequences. The coaches can be prepared to know what to look for and ready to suggest some alternative plays and moves. Number six, openers are are great to allow the quarterback to get in rhythm. We can use some of that right now. Practicing these plays ahead of time will improve the level of confidence that the quarterback has at the beginning of the game. All right, number seven, scripting is a great way to include, quote, special plays early in the game and be sure that they will be run. The. we often work on special plays only to hold onto them and never call them in a game. So you kind of force yourself to run those special plays. Number eight increases the versatility of the offense without having to run a large number of plays or excessive number of formations. Uh, Different formations and looks early in the game will require the opponent to do some thinking and some aggressiveness out of the defense. Now, kind of in summary, it says Walsh believed that one of the greatest uses of openers was the sheer confidence that the offense had in the game plan because it knew the opening plays and had practiced the sequence. If the offense scores on the first series, the confidence level shoots up and could lead to a dominant offensive quarter or first half. All right, so you could see it's all about building momentum. It's all about having trust in the play. It's all about making your players comfortable, right? Randy Cross was on that same of football life. He said, we used to give Bill Walsh hell the night before the game. Like, Bill, we need to, we need those openers. Can I get the openers? Yeah, I'll get them to you. No, I need the openers now. They want to know what they're running going into the game. And to the best of my knowledge, and I could be wrong here, but to the best of my knowledge, that's the first time I've ever heard of an NFL team not having openers for a game plan right now, again, I don't want to draw an extreme, uh, uh an extreme, not comparison, but like, I don't want to, I don't want to falsely explain what's going on here, what he means by where well, they've got ideas, meaning they've got concepts, like I was saying, like, okay, we're going to attack the defense this specific way, right? And, uh, and you don't have the specific play calls there, though. So, um, that blew my mind, Jacob. I'm not gonna lie, man. I've been keeping up with football, like you know, I was telling Baz and we were chatting about it offline, and he was blown away. He was like, but they don't script their plays. I'm like, they script ideas, but they don't script the the actual plays, they don't have it because that like that's been going on for so long, and it just makes so much sense. What's the negative to having a scripted play call? Like the only thing I can think of is if your coach is so paranoid that someone is gonna let that information out of the building and give your first 15-20 plays to the opponent. But it's funny how we seem to be the only team worried about that. But what do you think, Jake?
2: I mean, yeah, dude. I um, like I said, I have that in my notes before we even talked about it. Um, I thought I was gonna surprise you with that little factoid, but uh, nah. Apparently, I was a little bit uh,
3: <laughs> sorry, off of that. dude. Sorry. Yeah,
2: but no, I I have it right here in my notes too. It said Bill Walsh script, Bill Walshwood script, ten to fifteen, and then I extended it to twenty five plays. Um, <clears throat> and it is almost. Indicative of the way that uh, the Packers seem to have performed, especially in the beginning of the games. I just looked at this. The Packers have been outscored 54-3 to in the first half of the last three games. I mean, that kind of says to you right there, like, I mean, and and who was it? What So Turtles says LaFleur not scripting plays for his young quarterback is crazy. To me, yeah, that's, I I don't understand that. I don't, LaFleur seems like he's such a, analytical type guy you know the shanahan tree all this kind of stuff how do you not do what was it, it's it's like he's neglecting to do the the easiest mm-hmm. clearest way to ensure that his young quarterback and that his offense like you showed it i mean the eight or the nine different rules whatever it was right there every single one of them is true
1: yeah. i mean the
2: fact you have consistency you have a comfortability with it you um you're able like you said if even if something goes awry in the first couple uh, possessions like say you throw a pick six or do something stupid it lets you kind of not have to play so <clears throat> kind of off the wall you you re-hone yourself you get back to what you know you're going to be doing your game plan and it lets you kind of maybe settle down i to me that right there I, i've been really back and forth with the lafleur drama the berry drama all that kind of stuff i've been trying to take it all with a grain of salt and um but that to me like is almost we've talked about uh weird play calling and stuff like that from the floor. And if you listen to Ryan's latest podcast, he basically goes through every single play. And I think that I don't want to speak for him, but what I gathered is that the play calling wasn't horrible. It was a lot of bad execution, but there was some head scratches here and there. And I know that I've seen, you know, a lot of the media, which doesn't mean anything. They, they definitely seem like they're starting to switch towards it's the floor's problem, but I don't know. It's, it's a talking point at this point. Um, I want to say too, uh, right now we are ranked really at the bottom of the barrel. As far as pretty much every single offensive stat. I mean, we're in like 30th, 31st, 29th, 30th and everything. Granted, we do have an early bye week so that's going to skew our numbers a bit. But um, I, I just right here, Paul Robertson says not scripting plays just confirms more of what I thought. LaFleur is an ideas guy. that doesn't know how to translate those ideas to the field through the players. I don't know that that, that's a, that's a fair criticism. I think Um, I don't know. It's just, it's weird to me. It's just very, very weird.
3: Yeah. And and when I went and watched the tape, I actually went back and watched their openers. And when I say openers, I took it to 25 plays. It actually ended up being, I believe the whole first half, if I remember correctly, I could be wrong, but uh, I didn't, I didn't come away saying this is great play, Colin. I darn sure didn't come away saying this is great execution either. But the thing that caught me off guard was you were running inside zone and you were moving the sticks. And then you started getting cute with pulling guards and sift blocks. And and I'll talk about the numbers here in a second. But, um, (laughs) yeah, so like Paul was saying, not scripting plays just confirms – uh, more of what I thought LaFleur is an ideas guy. It kind of seems like that. Now, listen, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I understand football better than an NFL head coach. I'm not going to play that game. Please don't take this the wrong way. These are things that when they, when these comments come up and these topics come up, we want to address them. We want to hit on them. Right. Because I think there is something to that. It's, it's not a coincidence that we always start slow and we're one of the only teams, if not the only team that doesn't script, you know, the first 10 or 15 plays or even 20. Right. Um, it's just mind boggling, but, uh, um, here's another one, and I'm going to go to you, Tim. Goose says uh, Matt Lafleur quote: "We got to find ways to stick to the run." End of quote. Hmm, not scripted means more likely to get away from the run. Too much sense. That's exactly what that means. Like if you've got it scripted, what the? Uh, I'm going to pull it up one more time here, one more time, and I can't remember which number it was. Uh, but it talked about making sure you didn't get off, uh, off track from what you were wanting to do. Um, golly, I can't find it now. Let's see. Yeah, I can't find the exact one. I'll try to pull it up here in a second. But, uh, Tim, what do you think, man? Basically, essentially what it said in the Cliff Notes version of that was, if you script the plays, you remove the emotion, right? You remove the emotion of the play calling. Like, let's say you've got your play scripted, right? And the other team goes right down the field and they score, you're like, oh, crap, now we're down seven to nothing. Or even worse, you get the ball first, you go three and out and punt, they get the ball, they come down and score, you're going to be more likely to go to the passing game, right? Okay, we we're playing catch-up now. No, stick to the script for the first three quarters, right? And what I mean by that is you would be willing to stick to the script for the first three quarters. And when you get to the fourth quarter, like Michael Lombardi says, it's a it's a standalone game, right? In 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 the in the first quarter, you're simply trying to fill out the other team. And Bill Walsh mentioned that on that on that sheet right there, too, right? That you're you're trying to get an idea, you throw multiple formations in those script that way. You can see what the defense is going to try to do to match that. You're gathering information for the first quarter. Then in the second quarter, it's about getting the lead going into halftime and protecting the middle eight. Then you come out in the third quarter, protect the middle eight, keep the momentum, and then the fourth quarter is a standalone game, right? And everything kind of lines up with what Bill Walsh taught. Lo and behold, Michael Lombardi was an intern driving Bill Walsh around. But Could you imagine that, having that job, driving Bill Walsh from town to town, doing scouting and stuff? He just And people look at Michael Lombardi and go, he's a moron. No, you're a moron. That dude's <laughs> under Bill Walsh, Al Davis, Bill Belichick, but he's a moron. Get, get away from him, Tim. What do you think, man? What do you think about all that, dude?
0: I, I think I understand where you know the frustration comes from with this because when you're not scripting and you don't, you know, you're building things based off of concepts. Well, you know, concepts are great, but when it comes time to execute, if you don't really have a script to stick to because everything's based on, you know, you're, you might be overthinking this or overcomplicating things, like it's almost unforgivable with a young team like this. I mean, it's bad enough we're asking, you know, linemen to pull and, you know, do these crazy blocks, and we've got sifting tight ends left and right all the time, um, and this team is young. Like, don't you think scripting the first 15 to 20 plays would help? a young team. I mean, we yeah, obviously the comments about a young quarterback, you know, first-year starter in Jordan Love, that's true, but I mean, the rest of this offense is pretty young as well, and maybe guys will run the correct route a little bit more, you know, if they know exactly what they're doing. One of those uh that was on Bill Walsh's list there was building, you know, confidence within your players as to what they're going to go out there and do. So when they're running out of the tunnel onto that field, you've got a vision, you have a plan, you know exactly what move you're going to make. And, you know, to your point, Clayton, regardless of what happens out there, you know, you have to have a base plan that you're going to stick to, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, you know, that, that there's a reason that those uh, call sheets are laminated uh, for the coaches and that they reassess them and reprint them, you know, at halftime and, You know, it's constantly evolving as it is. So you got to have a base, base, uh, formula to your approach. And you can't really, you know, I, I was the one who said, let the kids play. That was my quote in the off season. And it's like, I feel like maybe Maddie LaFleur took that to heart and he's just letting the kids play too much (laughs) And, and he's, and he's, and he's asking them to do too much sometimes in certain aspects of the game, um, You know, I I think of the Emmanuel Wilson uh, throwing the football on fourth down to our quarterback and, you know, uh, tight ends running, you know, to the sideline and instead of to the flats and, you know, uh, all kinds of things, man. Like, I feel like the illusion of complexity can still be a part of your offense, but you, you can go ahead and stick to the script, so to speak. You know, I'm sure McCarthy's still scripting plays in Dallas. Absolutely is. You know, so not to draw that, that, uh you know, regurgitated comparison again. Um, but like, you know, West coast offense, that's, that, that's true. You hit it on the head at the top. It's a staple of that offense. It's a, it's a principle, a pillar of that offense. And yeah, Bill Walsh liked to push the envelope. He'd have 20, 25, 30, 30 scripted plays probably. Um, but to not have as much as could like, you know, here, could we get five or 10? Could we, Right. <laughs> you know, cause you oh. can't tell me those, those, uh,
4: And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at eBayMotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. Troll. Yeah,
3: and, and you, you, you put into account you don't have a script of specific plays and then you come out and you can out of a run to a pass put yourself behind the sticks. To me, that's what I've seen in that game and that's why I put more blame on the play calling and the game plan as opposed to the players on offense because it was just all day long you were playing from behind the sticks outside of the first drive. The first drive, you were going split flow inside zone, right, which is sift but you were running inside zone. Then you started doing split flow with a pulling guard. Now you've got all these pieces moving. And another thing, too, that I didn't think about in the moment, but when I went back and watched the tape, the interception that Jordan Love threw um, to Dump Truck, right? He turned around, blind play action. You had a sift, too. So you had, not only did you have him snapping the ball, doing the blind, but then you had a tight end flashing in front of his face, you know? Like, think about that. Turning your back to the line of scrimmage. Doing a play fake, then coming around as a tight end flashes past you, and you've got to now locate your read. And it's just, and it explains to me like when I went and watched the 49ers and the Rams tape today, I was expecting to see the same thing. And I was going to go, they're making it work. We should be able to make it work. Maybe it's not that. Maybe I'm being too egregious when it comes to complaining about all the sifts and all the pulling guards. But when I watched the tape, Wasn't there. I'll talk about the numbers here in a second. Let's go to the chat real quick. Our shower says, our offense looks like an infant drew it up. There's no imagination, and we do nothing whatsoever to press an individual defense's weakness. Think about that. What is the Raiders' weakness on defense, right? And and this is something that kind of crossed my mind. It's like, okay, how should you attack the Raiders' defense? To me, inside zone because their interior defensive line was trash, right? And what's their strength? Max freaking Crosby, right? Well, we decided to do sift blocks on Max Crosby all day long with rookie tight ends. Like, I I don't, if you had came to me pregame and said, hey, you get these two game plans, which one do you think we should do? Should we attack the interior with inside zone run and maybe even some outside zone run away from Max? Or do you think we should uh, uh, try to run some play play action, mix in some pulling guards, and have sifts and double sifts blocking Max? I would have been like, are you high?
2: But and it's it's worse than that, claim because it's two like you said, rookie tight ends that are more yeah on the line of receiving tight ends. They're not Mercedes Lewis tight ends. And then you have a third that's a UDFA and Ben Sims, who's I would argue probably our best blocking tight end. I mean, yeah. which is saying something, which isn't saying something good. I mean, it's uh, I don't know. Um, I think that's a, a good point. Is that it? Just it seems like we're drawing up plays. And for whatever reason, by not scripting the initial plays and by actually designing plays to highlight our opponent, our offensive weaknesses, you know what I mean? It's like we're putting our guys in positions to fail, which is just inexcusable.
3: Yeah, for sure. Mike Hebring in the chat says, "Saying you script concepts translates to we don't script the plays." It's <laughs> exactly right. When I heard it, I was like,
2: "Oh, I don't know." Does that even it. mean to script a concept? Like, honestly, okay, what
3: is that? Mean? I, I, you know. I didn't hear anyone say this, but this is what my mind goes to, and I could be completely wrong. When you when you talk about concepts in football, you've got passing concepts, you've got run concepts. An inside zone run is a run concept, right? Outside zone is a run concept. Pin and pull is a run, is a is a run concept, right? Power is a run concept, counter is a run concept. You've got a multitude of concepts that some teams like Bill Belichick back when they were winning Super Bowls. They ran a lot of power, right, which is a pulling guard, right, from the backside to the strong side. And you you hear Marshawn Lynch talk about all the time, can I get a power? Can I get a power? That's what he's talking about because you're, you're basically going strong side formation downhill with a lead blocker, right, and you just smack them in the mouth, right? Well, when the Patriots, and I know this because I follow the Patriots closely, they took a huge step back last year, right? Guess what they did last year? They implemented zone run blocking right? They went to a wide zone, more of a wide zone run scheme, okay? Well, their team was built for power running, right? So, the reason I bring that up is because when you look at the Packers roster and how they're built, they're built and drafted for inside and outside zone scheme running, not power, not counter, not pin and pull, not all that. So, when you that's what I say with Royce Newman. It's easy to jump on Royce Newman when he completely whiffs on a block in space, but it's like, Royce Newman is not is not a athletic offensive lineman that can get in and out of gaps and sell off the backside and and run power or counter, right? It just doesn't make sense to me. But I think that Matt LaFleur when he started running duo, that's another concept, right? Which duo is is downfield vertical power, basically. What that means is on a power play, you have a guard or a tackle in some cases what they call GT power where it's guard and tackle where they're both going to jump over a gap or two as lead blockers, right? With duo, it's vertical power, meaning yes, you're trying to, you're trying to get downfield. It's typically two double team blocks on the interior or the exterior of the offensive line. And you're looking to block and get downfield. So you're getting a plus one hat count at the second level and trying to hit that big explosive run and play. Okay. So we run all of the above and maybe most teams do, but with the Packers, it's like, man, let's get our freaking feet under us a little bit here. And this is, I'm telling you, go back to last year. This is what 12 was talking about. We need to simplify things. I, and what does Greg Cosell say? Elimination, isolation, right? That's what makes quarterbacks great. You come to the line of scrimmage, you eliminate what the defense isn't doing, and then you isolate what they are doing and where your matchup is. That's how Aaron Rodgers played offense. That's why he jailed so well with Devontae Adams. That's why the RPO game absolutely took off. But then you start mixing in all this extra stuff and things just go haywire. Um, so that's personally what I think he meant last year. Again, when he said it, nobody wanted to hear it. They just said, shut up and run Matt LaFleur's offense, right? And and it bothers me because it's like, man, it, you know, that's – that was the reason we sputtered last year. Aaron Rodgers most of the season graded out as a top 10 quarterback, right? And everybody was going – because he wasn't a top three, oh, he's garbage, and, I don't know, things were just – they weren't they weren't simplified enough. Now, everyone said, get that dead Wade out of here. Get your Alan Lazard out of here. Get Randall Cobb out of here. Get Mercedes Lewis out of here, right? All those guys. Well, guess what? We're the youngest team in the league now, and you're asking these players to do the same concepts. I'm sorry. Luke Musgrave is not Mercedes Lewis when you're running the ball. You, you ought to watch Mike Wall light up when you mention Mercedes Lewis. He's like, oh, man, he's an extra tackle. That dude can play tackle that can right? Put 15, 20 more pounds on him. He could play offensive in the league. I still don't understand why they didn't bring him back. It blows my mind. Absolutely blows my mind. But, um, anyway, how's that going to play? So, let's talk a little bit about um, what I seen when I broke down the numbers, okay? I went back and watched the 49ers tape. Here were the openers in the last 49ers game. Of course, you guys seen they lost to Cleveland, which, by the way, uh, Jim Schwartz, man, what a what a freaking stud that dude is. When he goes up against Shanahan, he absolutely eats his lunch, and it's hilarious to watch. Which we got that on tape now, right? So you put that in the bag, <laughs> put that in the bag and say, okay, let's pull that out anytime we have to play the Niners because Jim Schwartz knows how to beat them. All right. So 49ers, I script, all right. I charted 35 plays, okay? The number one thing that stands out, they're in 21 personnel the majority of the time, two running backs, one tight end, okay? That's use check as the fullback. Obviously, Kittle as the tight end. Uh, you got Iuke. And Debo Samuel as the wide receivers. Oh, and by the way, you got Christian McCaffrey at running back. I mean, that's a story for another day, too. John Lynch has absolutely boat raced Goody in building a roster. I'm sorry he has, but anyway, um, 35 plays. They only ran sift blocks three times. Now, I want you to keep this in mind too. When you when you sift block, you've got a tight end. Right, the ball is snapped. After the ball is snapped, the tight end comes across the formation completely. To seal off the opposite edge okay so that's that's what a sift block is they accomplish the same thing 90 percent of the time by doing pre-snap motion and putting the guy in position as the ball was snapped okay what we're doing is no pre-snap motion we're snapping it and then the tight end post snap has to come across formation okay so that's the difference between a sift block and just a motion to lead block if that makes sense so they they ran sifts only three times they ran jet sweeps from under center three times, which imagine you're in an ace set or an I formation set. Wide receiver goes in motion. You snap the ball and real quick hand it off. You guys remember the Christian Watson reverse touchdown last year, right? I think we actually had two of them, if I remember correctly. Both of those were a similar concept. That As he passes, the ball goes right to him. One was a touch pass, I think, and then the other was, uh, was the jet sweep, right? That's totally different from what we're doing. You know what? I, you know why I say that? When we run jet sweeps, we're not under center. We're doing it from the shotgun. Big difference, right? So that's something that stood out. Pistol formation. The 49ers were in the pistol formation zero times in those 35 plays. They run no pistol to the best of my knowledge, or at least I didn't see them break it out. Pulling guards, okay, pulling guards. Zero times in those 35 plays did they pull guards. You know why? Because they're running zone blocking, the staple of Kyle Shanahan's offense. Everything's off of that. So, again, quick recap, 35 plays, three sift blocks, three jet sweeps from under center, no jet sweeps from shotgun, uh, zero pistol formations, and zero pulling guards. Uh, pistol formation, for those of you who don't know, it's real simple. Shotgun set, a little bit shorter shotgun, and the running back is directly behind you, Okay. Now, you see us run that, you know, quite often, especially there in the second half. But that that origin, I don't want to say it originated that got popular with Shanahan all the way back to Washington when he was the O.C. And Matt LaFleur was the quarterback coach for RG3. They ran a ton of pistol. Okay, you don't see a lot of teams running that in today's NFL. LaFleur, for whatever reason, is, is really all about it this year. All right. Um, anything you want to say there, Jacob, because I know I'm talking a whole lot. I don't want you guys just to be on here to sit and stay quiet. I'll talk about the Rams next, but what, what stands out to you there? Anything you disagree with? or
2: No, man. I mean, it, um, it is just really interesting. Like you talked about, um, just the evolution of how this moves the league and different things. You talked about John Lynch with just a little – that was my favorite player. I don't know why when I was growing up. My two favorite players was Allstott and John Lynch because they were just freaking beasts. Why I wore number 47 in high school, but it, I don't know, man. I um, it's starting to just worry me. Like listening to all this, it's it, it's I'm starting to kind of get like some shade towards Matt Lafleur, just because it seems like that we're for all this genius we've been talking about, how he's you know 13 win seasons, the first three seasons or whatever it was. um I am starting to. I hate to say this, and I you guys know that I've not been a big Rogers fan. That I've I'm starting to really do think that that Rogers was carrying this guy quite a bit. Um in a lot of different ways. I mean, everything from we talked about the other day setting the protection. So now I'm starting to think about uh, scheming. I mean, I I'd, I'd like to know if when he had Rogers, if if uh, LaFleur was scheming the opening 15, 20 so plays. Like I I would too. I would love to know. Shocking to me that this hadn't hasn't came up um until now. But um <clears throat> I don't know man. It's it's um I think it was was it Mike Waller? I watched a couple of I've watched now three or four different podcasts or people, YouTubers, whatever it was, who have all commented on the fact that like, there's no reason that these tight ends need to be doing that. They, they should be asked to be doing what they're doing. And then you talked about how maybe like um, off the top of your head, Clayton, are we more, are the Packers more of a dominant power run? Are we more of a zone or more of a gap? What, what do we kind of right now? Are we more high tendency with,
3: you know, I don't have it like a huge sample size, of of snaps and play tops and schemes charted. But on the surface, I would say, if you ask me, what are they? Are they zone run? Are they duo? Are they power? Are they pin and pull? Uh, I w- my answer would be yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, that, uh,
2: so that was my question. Is, is yeah. that the problem then? Is that we that's, don't have to go back to offensive of identity? And one other thing that I heard from everybody is that Matt LaFleurie just gets too cute. There's no yeah. rhyme or reason sometimes, and all of a sudden you throw in one of these like weird. <laughs> I don't know, just like yeah. a, a weird little, cute play just to kind of say like, hey, you know, don't don't forget about this possibility. But it's like you're not building anything. It's, it's yeah,
3: just- yeah, it's you know, for me that's that's what I said. Like when we hit that little stint there where you know what it was, the Saints and the Falcons, like man, we can't run the ball. I, I'm pretty sure I said it on here. I thought I did. If not, I probably tweeted about it. But it's like we got to get back to inside and outside zone and build off of that. We started going to duo, in my opinion, in 2020 and 2021 because teams started keying in on the wide zone run, right? So when you start keying on the wide zone run and you start showing those wide fronts, those wide nine edges, and you start putting extra bodies outside of the box, right, or outside of the tackle box, I should say, then the way you attack that is duo inside, which is double double doubles, right? Downfield vertical, sell off the outside, and that's how you hit those big home runs with Aaron Jones in the middle. The problem is the tape from the last year and a half, two years, shows you're doing that, so teams are adjusting to that. You need to get back to wide zone. Now, people say, well, A.J. Dillon can't run wide zone. B.S. Well, I've seen big backs run wide zone. Yes, A.J. Dillon isn't. Aaron Jones, I get it. But some of the positions he was put in, man, holy cow, dude. Getting smacked in the mouth right as he got the ball. Max Crosby right in their lap. Like Patrick Taylor that that one time, I, I feel like they should give him an extra bonus. I feel like the Packers should cut him a check. Like it was just like, how did you think that was going to work? That just blows my freaking Here, mind, man.
0: Here's my question. I, I got a question. Yeah. So so the green dot with the, with the communications now – correct me if I'm wrong, doesn't that turn off with like 10 seconds left on the play clock or whatever the, there's like a certain amount of time left on the play clock before the communication goes dead, right? They terminate. I'm pretty sure. That's, so, I believe it's the 15 second mark. Okay, 15, 15 seconds left on the play clock. The comms so, go out, I believe. So, so Matt LaFleur calls a play in, it comes in, we're lined up. We're in a bad protection probably already. It hasn't been changed. We're sorting it out. Now communication goes out and Jordan Love checks out of the play into the, for example, the Patrick Taylor play you just talked about, he he moved him to that position. That was a, a canned play, I believe, that he either checked out of a, a pass to a run or something. So how much of that is on our quarterback and how much of this comes you know, back to concept or play design? You know, like if you call a play that, you know, you want want it to be ran. And yeah, there's a few options. And then you check out incorrectly. Mm-hmm. I guess it's, I guess it's on both, right? I mean, we're not playing the obsessive uh blame game here, but yeah. I think it's gotta be some of those moments are, you know, first of all, we have, we don't have a great track record of clock management um, skills really in the last couple of seasons, to be honest, even with Aaron back there, even with Aaron kind of like you said, kind of carrying uh, carrying the load in some respects. But we're seeing that now, too, like really close to the end of the play clock before we're getting the snap off or guys not getting set, these kind of things. I don't know. I just wonder if it's like too much guys are frazzled or, or panicked back there because they don't know what they're doing. They, there isn't a defined concept or there isn't a defined scripted uh, way to start these games. Mm-hmm. So they're just going out there and we're – can out of this and check to this, and then you even spoke to the fact that uh, you don't Jordan Love doesn't seem to like to throw the swing uh, on these swing passes, which we could be you know there's like an extra hundred or two hundred yards of offense laying around there. There definitely is yeah. that we're just not we're not utilizing, and I I just I got to play devil's advocate like this can't you, you can't call for everyone's head you know in this scenario, but you do you have to kind of spread the spread the accountability across the board here. Absolutely. Yeah.
3: As far as the cam play too, I imagine they break the huddle. Let's say they're at the 25 second mark, right? They break the huddle. They come to the line. Matt's talking to them. The play's already in. Hey, look, if they show, if it's middle field close, can to the pass, right? If it's middle field open, stick with the run, whatever it might be, whatever the check might, it may be two passing plays too. Keep that in mind. You may Mm -hmm. have two passing plays with two different sets of concepts, they call that play in the huddle, both plays in the huddle, and you know that the first one you call is the play itself or vice versa, and then the other one will be the camp You come to the line, all right, middle field close. What I mean by middle field close, if you got two on the shelf, if you got two high safety, right, you're showing that umbrella look. If you've got that, that's how middle field Safeties are up top. There's no one in the middle of the field pre-snap. Now, post-snap, that could change, but pre-snap, that means middlefield open. If you're playing single high, then you got an extra guy underneath. That means middle field closed. Okay, that's what I mean when I say that. I need to try to explain this stuff as we go. I apologize. Can I ask you a question, quick.
2: Yeah. So when you talked about middle field open uh, with a two high, is that why I understand that they developed the Tampa two to bring that middle linebacker deeper in that coverage zone to kind of offset that
3: that there's there. There's, there's multi levels to why they created Tampa Two, and they being, um, gosh, it's uh, it's the wild the wildcat down there in uh, Ole Miss right now. His name, oh man, his name escapes me. Lane Kiffin, his dad, Monty Kiffin, created the Tampa Two. Okay, and the whole purpose of the Tampa Two was the West Coast offense was nickel and diamond defenses to death, right? And they were also with the Broncos wide zone boot scheme running outside, they needed extra edge protection against that wide zone. Okay. So what he did was he came up with a plan where the corners could be very physical to help set the edge on the outside and play underneath. Well, in order to do that, you got, you can only go cover two, right? So if you go cover two zone, you've got two safeties on the shelf, right? And they're responsible for deep halves. Well, they decided, you know what? Most of the time, they're either going to attack the seam in that or they're going to stay underneath. Why don't we get us a middle linebacker and allow him to cover the deep center, right, if indeed the play the play call, you know, suggests that. So they went and drafted Derrick Brooks, obviously, and Derrick Brooks is one of the fastest linebackers that ever played Mike, and his job was to cover the seam in the Tampa two. So I say it's multi-level, Jacob, for that reason because they wanted something where, hey, look, we're still protected deep third. We're always going to stay at least a match one, one hat count deep, but also be able to be aggressive off the edges. And you've got to have a front four that can hit home. And by the way, Simeon Ross, Warren Sapp, they could hit home, right? They were just absolute dogs. So um, let me do this real quick. I'm going to share the screen and show you kind of to get back where we were just a second ago. This right here is the play. This is one of the plays you guys can see this, right? Is it, is it super small fellas? Kind of small it. Oh, that's
0: that's what she said.
3: Hey, easy now, Tim. <laughs> All right. So never ask that question, fellas. Never ask that okay. anyway, um, uh, so you'll see T right here, right? That that was Patrick Taylor. Okay, so I'm gonna take him. He started here, okay. And we motioned to the pony package. But this is what Mike Wall pointed out. Look at look at your H back here. I think it was Emmanuel Wilson on the play. He's in Mike Wall said he's lined up on the AWS of the tackle well this defense knows he's not going to get get the ball inside if anything it will be a pitch and that's it to him right so they come out in this set right here where it's basically a 21 look a 21 tight that nasty split right so you got a 21 tight here out of the gun and then they motion him to pony okay so now you're in the pony package two sidecars right so if you look at the blocking scheme i gonna be real quick this is a sift notice the y off how he sifts over he was supposed to sift over and block Max Crosby, who's the left end right here, this guy right here, okay? So, pre-snap, you come out here, you get set. The defense recognizes this why off, and like Mike said, you've already ran this play. They 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 know this sift is coming. You're not catching anybody off guard, right? When the ball snap, the H immediately goes to the flat, takes the corner with him. You ask Samori Torre to get in here and block this safety, one-on-one you're asking elton jenkins to block this defensive tackle who oh by the way is on his outside shoulder so he's playing more of a three tech this defensive tackle right here was more of a three tech if he was here this makes sense right because you're trying what you're trying to do is get the t patrick taylor into this b gap over here right so with the defensive tackle there he's already got elton beat off of off the outside shoulder anyway You've got this strong safety coming in where Samori Torre's got to get in here and crack him. This is where we miss Alan Lazard, right? And everybody's, oh, he's overrated. He ain't worth 10 million. Get him out of here because he was friends with Rodgers is the main reason people said it. But you're not going to expect Samori Torre, especially as the ball snap. snapped. They see that sift. As soon as this sift shoots over, this safety's coming, right? And you can watch on the play. I wish we could play show the actual play. But Samori Torre never had a shot to block him. But on top of that, this Y sifting over, look at the path that Max Crosby takes. See how he kind of dipped in here and got flat real quick? Because he's seen Zach Tom as soon as the ball was snapped and right before the ball was snapped, I guarantee you Tom is kind of looking at that next level. Tom did his responsibility. Let's get down here and block this mic, right? So he reads that and you watch a suit. I mean, just a split second before the ball snap, Max kind of creeps over, right? And as soon as Tom releases, Max shoots his shot underneath and the Y never had a shot. They met. I mean, literally, he had the running back before the running back even had the ball, okay? I say that because imagine in a world where this Y doesn't sift on this play. You let Tom block uh, Crosby. You let Runyon block the D tackle. You let Myers get to the second level on the sandwich. He seemed to do a pretty good job, right? If you do that, now what you've got is Samori Torre blocking the safety, just like it's designed, but you've also got the Y coming through to help block the safety. That's what I mean by you're getting too cute. Now, if this had been a run to the right and you have a sift, and they did that a couple of times, it almost looks like a power play, but it's your Y sift, that makes sense too, because you're staying plus one. But you're losing a hat by moving that sift out of the way, and he doesn't even block the guy. And worst case scenario, he completely whiffs on Max Crosby. And that's how you that's how you end up with the, the loss that they did. And again, before that, the opening two or three, you know the first two or three sequences inside zone, inside zone, little split flow, sift. That's okay. Inside zone, inside zone. Right. And then you try to get cute and sift away and you lose a hat count. Next thing you know, now we're in second and 12. Now Jordan's like, dang, I got to pass the ball. Right. That's why game flow matters. That's why game flow matters. That's why I get frustrated when people just show screenshots on Twitter. Why did this happen? Like, it's, it's easier said than done. I'm not sitting here pretending like if you just take this concept, it'll fix the Packers' problem. It won't. But this is exactly what Michael Wall is talking about. You're asking your players to do things they're not capable of doing. I could have drawn up the other play too, Jacob, where it was the double sift. And, oh, by the way, a double sift plus Patrick Taylor. The problem was Patrick Taylor gets – I'm surprised he didn't get called for ineligible downfield. He got so far up in the gap and then didn't touch a soul, right? But, again – Patrick Taylor's a practice squad player, right? That's where, like what Tim was saying, there's enough lane to go around. The person who's getting off scotch-free here is Brian Gutekunst. Like, I'm just sorry. It's like <laughs> rookie tight ends. You you weren't willing to bring Mercedes back for pretty much a minimum at his veteran level, right, because it would take snaps away from young players. I don't know, man. It's just it's weird. It almost feels like a tank job. That's the only way I know to describe it. It almost feels like that. And, and then somebody pointed out earlier, I think it might have been Andy Herman pointed out that, that Brian Gutekunst said in the offseason, you know, what did he say? Well, there's going to be growing pains and you know, we got a young team and we, it's like, he was just already conceding. Here's the game plan. Right. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's fascinating. It's a fascinating conversation, but again, 49ers quick recap, 21 personnel, majority of the time, 35 plays only three sifts, three jet, Uh, sweeps under center, zero pistol, zero pulling guard, straightforward zone blocking approach. Okay. Uh, The Rams openers. Okay. I went to it 29 plays. They were majority of the time in 11 personnel, one running back, one tight end three wide receiver sets. Of course they're playing to their strength because they've got Puka Nakua and they got Cooper cup, right? Which you guys have heard me say 11 personnel to me is our strength right now. We need to be in 11 personnel 90% of the time for whatever reason, we didn't just go 12 personnel. We went 13 personnel. That blew my freaking mind when I seen 13 personnel on the field. I was like, how – if some, if someone asked you right now and said, cons- is the tight end room a strength of the Green Bay Packers? What would you say? Are you yeah, – <laughs> <yeah. laughs> So let's do this. Let's put – let's take our weakest position on offense and let's make sure we have the maximum number of players on the field for that. <laughs> And, and, Jacob, this is what's going to piss you off. When we say scripting concepts, that's what we're talking about. From a conceptual standpoint, it's I want to get a lot of 13 personnel out there against the Raiders. Why? I, I, it's, I don't know. I'm not a coach. I'm just a dumb redneck from Tennessee. But it just I'm asking why as well. So, Rams, 29 plays, zero sifts, zero jet sweeps under center. One pistol, one uh, one pulling guard. That's closer to the Packers, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what I've said all last year and the year before when people were screaming, Aaron Rodgers won't let us run Matt LaFleur's offense. I'm going, you're you're trying to compare it to Shanahan's offense, and it's not Shanahan's offense. It's Sean McVay's offense. All right, but check this out. Matt LaFleur has gotten to the freaking extreme. Here are the Packers numbers. Brace yourself. Twelve personnel, thirteen personnel. Right, we tried to lean on it a little bit more. I don't think it was the majority. I didn't. I didn't chart the personnel, but that's what you've seen, you know, last week as far as their personnel. Twenty-five plays, four less plays than the Rams, and ten less plays than the Niners. We ran ten sifs, bro. The Niners ran three on thirty-five plays, three with ten more plays. The Rams ran four more plays and didn't run one single sift, and they lit the Cardinals up. I grant, I know it's the Cardinals. I got you, but still, it's like that. Teams don't go into a game and go, you know, this is a weak team. Let's don't worry about doing that concept. We don't need to use it. That's not how it works. They're game planning to win a game. Period. Right. All right. Jet sweeps from under center, zero. Right. And and you're probably going, but I seen jet sweeps, Clayton. You did but they were out of the gun and out of the pony package and trying to get cute with all that. Pulling offensive linemen, okay, four different times. There was a couple of them I left out, too, because it was more of a pin and pull, just kind of just kind of getting over a gap as opposed to actually pulling like power. They have four times that they pulled the guard, one of which was John Runyon when he got turned around facing the running back and got blasted in the hole from Max Crosby because we asked uh, – was it – uh, who was it we asked? We asked Luke Musgrave to block Max Crosby by himself, to get John Runyon, a pass-blocking guard, on the move into the gap ahead of the running back. It's just it's mind-boggling, man. So, the, again, the, the notes I had, inside zone was great. I thought we did really good inside zone. I hope we get back to inside and outside zone run and just kind of build off that foundation. The pulling and the sifts cut everything off all night long. You Get a little bit of momentum from the inside zone split flow, a little bit of momentum, a little bit of a moment. You're, you're moving the chains. He's working with uh second and seven instead of second and 11. Right. And then the next drive, bang, let's, all right, let's pull a guard. Let's get cute. Let's run that sweep to Christian Watson out of the pony package where we had, I counted, there was four blockers for the Packers looking back at Christian Watson as he's getting hit by three defenders. And I'm sorry, he, that, that wasn't Christian Watson's fault. That wasn't the offensive line's fault. That was bad scheme. And, and again, we always go to just like the Detroit game last year, Jacob. It's like – remember Ryan saying it on his pod when he watched that Detroit Lions game. He's like, it's like they know what's coming because they do. <laughs> With inside zone, you can know it's coming, but it's all about staying plus one in the hat count and booting off of it, and they have to respect the boot. You, you minimize the effect of that boot action, which a boot, for those of you who don't know, play action boot is a fake – to the handoff, and then you roll out opposite of the run look, okay? So you're looking like it's an outside stretch run to the right. You're booting left back off, okay? If you've got what we call – I think they call it a waggle or a rollout is when you boot in the same direction with the run. But that's, that's the stuff that stood out to me when it came to the game tape. And again, I don't want this to be a depressing podcast, but I think it's important to understand. Okay, here's what's wrong. Here's what's happening. Okay, now you may be sitting there going, "But I like the play call." Like, like it sounds like that's what Ryan said, right? And that's totally cool. If somebody likes the game, the the play call. Okay, cool. You like the play call. I don't. Right? And is it execution? If it's lack of execution, okay, your players aren't capable of doing what you're asking them to do. To me, that defaults to bad play call you know that's just kind of how i see it. but jacob what do you think man?
2: no i think that's a good point um because like you said we can't give floor the out that even it's like well it wasn't a bad schematic call it wasn't a bad play call it was schemed up the right way at this point going into week six or week seven wherever at like that was stuff you could maybe get away with in week one or two because it's like we don't quite know what the guys are capable of at this point we're a quarter of the way through the season you know very well or at least you should know very well what your guys can and can't do and like you talked about we gotta you gotta look at that tape and be like all right they can't sift can't be pulling as much they can't be the tight ends should not be put in these positions we shouldn't have uh, second year very small guys like Torrey having to do you know very integral blocking route kind of stuff like we should maybe put guys that are like you talked about lazard compared to Torrey. we have to understand that that's a difference you know Mm -hmm. you have to understand that um that you can't run behind Rice Newman. You have to do like all these kinds of stuff. Um, and it just seems like that we're not learning and that we're not adjusting. And that's what I guess is most frustrating for me yeah. is that we're not, we're not looking at what we do good and what we do bad and saying, all right, let's keep doing the good stuff. It seems like we're just being like, oh, well, we're going to keep trying it. Cause not then.
3: Hey, what I did Mike Wall mentioned. say? Nathan? He said, how many times that he said they, they come into the meeting room and a coach would stand up there and draw it on the board. And they go, I can't, I can't get to that block. Well, the OC wants to run it. He wants to run it. Okay, you go out there and run it. It fails, and then the next day you're watching film, and they go, huh, didn't get to your guy, did you? You should have seen Mike's eye. He looked like I could see a vein popping out of as he's talking about. me. <laughs> I freaking told you I couldn't get to that guy. Like it's, that's that's where, yeah, it's tough. Man. So, Tim, what do you think, Bo? Oh,
0: I. It sounds like a broken record, but I agree with Jacob. I mean, this is, you know, multiple games in a row of this. We can look at overall adjustments not being made and also within the game. You know, we see like little to no change, whether it's personnel grouping, whether it's play call, whether it's overall approach. Any changes that we see or adjustments we do see is too little too late a lot of the time. I mean, granted, we were never not in the game against the Raiders, but that that didn't look good. It didn't look yeah. good at all. And, and you know, I see Goose here in the chat. I was just saying. Uh, right. That, that right. makes a lot of sense. It really does. Um, I'll
3: guess, read it real
0: quick. It says, yeah.
3: Love seems to always be looking for the deep ball. He will pass up on checkdowns and intermediate route if he might have an opportunity for a deep ball, which seems to be the coaching a coaching point because – we saw that with a lot with Rodgers and blamed him for
4: hero ball.
0: Yeah. Right. Now, is that, a, is that a tell in this overall scheme, in this Lafleur offense, to, that we have now another quarterback that maybe this explains why the swing pass isn't getting thrown? I mean, because Rodgers would use those. He would throw the check yeah. down eventually. That's the difference between Rodgers and yeah. Love at this point, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, we also talk about the poise that Jordan Love has in the pocket, which is a really good thing. But it's also almost a detriment because sometimes he's standing in there, you know, a little too long as things are breaking down when a step up or a step out might extend the play long enough for you to get to that, that swing or that check down. But I agree. I think he's looking down over the middle a lot, deep over the middle Um, and, uh, you know, outside, uh, you know, runs to the to the, uh, you know, quick outs to the sidelines seem to be something that he likes, too. But, you know, I. I don't know. (laughs) I I don't know, but something has to change and it's frustrating. Like, like Jacob said, you know, I I feel like we're not seeing like anything other than the fact that we came out running the ball against the Raiders, which we went away. Yeah, yeah, true. (laughs) But at least at least we came out with with clearly an agenda of running the ball. Like I had said a few days ago, like clearly that game game plan was meant for uh, Aaron Jones and we just didn't have Aaron Jones. We had A.J. Dillon. Um so at least we saw that cuz I think Packer fans would have imploded if if we would have ran out with, you know, four or five passes to start oh, another God. game. I think people would have lost it. So we saw a little bit of change there, but I mean, I don't know, man. I just feel like you have to have a script in order to stick to it. And if you're if you're having this approach of, well, we scheme concepts and we take what what the defense gives us. It's like, dude, we should be dictating what we're doing out there you know and let that defense try and react to it you know set the tone push the envelope and maybe that's what uh you know goose is talking about here maybe jordan love is just like you know screw it i'm going to try and hit the hit the deep shot when i can um rather than throwing the check down but i don't know time will tell man It, it like i said if we see more of the same against denver and it and you know we don't absolutely you know boat race them it's going to be it's going to be a long year guys yeah
3: (laughs) all right i like that laugh at the end
0: uh paul robertson (laughs) we'll
3: finish up with the chat here uh paul robertson said i get the tank job vibes does that mean Lafleur is a dead man walking also this upcoming quarterback class is supposed to be historical in terms of the amount of talent um i hope they're not tanking I, i don't i don't think they're tanking i think they made a decision i think that that goody murphy and russ ball and LaFleur they all sat down and you know you could tell LaFleur didn't say anything about Rodgers this offseason remember the only thing he said was um i you know there's my family and and many other people's families have a lot to be a, be thankful for for what he did for us like basically saying what Michael Lombardi said the guy got everybody a contract extension now he's the problem like <laughs> um LaFleur stayed hush on it all and I think that he was just kind of left sitting there going, hey, guys, are you do you realize what we have here? And maybe that conversation behind the scenes was, look, we wanted him gone. We, you know, being Goody and Mark Murphy, we wanted Rodgers gone. We we know now Russ Ball wanted Rodgers. Okay, we know that because Aaron came out and said, Russ made it real clear he wanted me back, right? But it sounds like Goody and Murphy didn't. So with that being said, Goody, Murphy, Russ Ball, and Matt LaFleur sat down and it sounds to me like they were like, hey, look, guys, let's go ahead and eat this $40 million in cap. Let's let's go draft heavy this year. Let's swallow our pride, you know, uh, whatever. Swallow the lump here and then come back in 2024 and compete. And Matt LaFleur's sitting there like, okay, all right. If he does get scrapped with the roster that he's having to play with right now, and and I heard so many people say, this is a good roster. This is a good roster. And I'm going, bro, we led the league in drops last year in the wide receiver room. And all we did was drafted more rookies. Like, how is – okay, tie, let's move on to tight end. in. You, you, you're starting two rookies in Josiah Aguara, who I think we would all agree now is underperformed. The cat tried to tell us, right? Like, it, it, it just and, – and now Matt LaFleur sitting there holding the book, and that's what pisses me off is I don't hear from Goody. Have you guys heard from Goody at all? Did I overlook it?
0: Nah, He's, I don't, I don't uh, think so. That Pretty bothers quiet. me, man, because
3: Matt LaFleur is out there fighting for his freaking life, like R. Kelly said. I'm fighting for my life. I'm like, no, you're a creeper, dude. You should be fighting for your life. But you know what I mean? He's like up there at the press conference fighting all this stuff, and, and Goody's just in the back like, hey, man, I'll tell you. That, that bothers me. It bothers me. Um, and not that he would go up there and say anything philosophical that would, you know, set the record straight, but it just bothers me that Matt LaFleur is kind of, I don't want to say the fall guy, but if they come out, and let's say they just win four games this year, kind of worst-case scenario, right? If they win four games and they can floor, it's pretty dirty, man. Pretty no. dang dirty. Um, all right, so let's see what Goose said here. So you agree Barry is a bad play caller because he plays, he calls plays his guys can't seem to execute. What is the play he should call, Goose? <laughs> like you put people in position to make tackles. Right? We, we, we could watch the tape until our eyes grow. Um You put people in position to make tackles, right? They missed the tackle. What else should he have done in that situation, right? Um, you're playing quarter's coverage, right? And you queue up a play call where three defenders are on the ball and somehow it doesn't get picked off. What else was he supposed to do? With? Like, when, when I look at it from a coaching standpoint, I try to put myself in their shoes and go, okay, what what would be the correct call here? What's the correct call in that situation? So if you're saying, like you, like you said, so you agree Barry is Barry is a bad play caller because he calls plays and his guys can't seem to execute. So all you can do is put the players in position to succeed. On the offensive side, you're going down one and two on hat count. That's a horrible play call as opposed to the other one you know, you're putting people in position. Like, I don't know if that makes sense, but I, now, think I, was, I understand the parallel you were trying to draw, but I couldn't disagree more, man. I'm yeah, no, sure. he
2: was, he made that comment as we were talking about at LaFleur basically calling plays that his guys can't execute. But like uh-huh. you just talked about, that's the difference to me is that Joe Barry is putting his guys in position and they're not making the plays correct, mm-hmm. but they should. They yeah. have the ability, the wherewithal, mm-hmm. you know, but I think that it's fair to say that on the other side, LaFleur is putting his guys in positions that he should know that they can't do. That's what I would like. Right. Yeah.
3: Um, said, I'm just tired of guys not performing and coaches asking guys to do too much. Uh, they all got to get their heads out of their aspirins. Um, <laughs> Paul Robertson said, doesn't Miami throw the ball downfield a lot? McDaniel and LaFleur are from the Shanahan tree. Let me ask you this. Who is Tariq Hill on this Packers roster, which by the way, Goody could have traded for and he didn't. Um he made an offer, but was in the conversation. Who on this roster is Tariq Hill? Because everyone now agrees he's the best wide receiver in the NFL right now. He is on pace to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. And I don't I'm not a big fan of Tariq Hill because of the personal issues, but who on this roster is Tariq Hill? Now let me ask you this. Who on this roster is Jalen Waddle? All right? There's your answer, <laughs> you know. Crickets. Yeah, <laughs> I'd Playroom. say
2: probably Watson would be in the in the mold of Tyreek Hill, Definitely not physically, but just as far as being a stretcher, a speed guy. And I guess he'd maybe say that
0: Dobbs more possession. Jade Reed, maybe.
3: Yeah. So let yeah. me ask you this: If you're starting to, and you're you're exactly right, Jacob, in the drawing the comparison of the archetype of of the player themselves. If you were building, if you were starting a team tomorrow, who would you take? Tariq Hill or Christian Watson? You know. yeah. Who would you take, uh, Jalen Waddle or Christian Watson? I'm still taking Jalen Waddle. Yeah. So essentially, our number one receiver would, at a minimum, be the number three receiver on the Miami Dolphins team in a team that likes to run a lot of twenty-one personnel. So he wouldn't even be on the field the majority of the time. Now, as far as the scheme itself, if you if you look at what we just tried to do against the Raiders and you look at what Miami's doing, it's not even close. I mean, Josh McDaniel – or not Josh McDaniels, but uh, what's his Mike, name?
0: Mike, 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 Mike McDaniel. Mike McDaniel is
3: absolutely boat racing Matt LaFleur. Um, and I know a lot of people don't like him because of the Play Callers podcast and how he seems arrogant and this and that. He's very arrogant, very arrogant. Um, but, yeah, he's uh, he's got that thing roaring down there, man. Got it absolutely roaring. Which oh, by the way, you know Vic Fangio. Everybody was screaming we should have brought Vic Fangio in. Look at their defense, hot garbage.
0: Yep,
3: hot garbage. And that's the thing that everybody's overlooking about Joe Barry. When you look at this defense overall, like middle, like middle of the pack, man. They're holding their own. And in in some statistics that I think is very important, points per play and yards per play, they're borderline top ten. So,
2: did you ever see that meme? Of Mike McDaniel, he's like walking through his guys while they're pregame stretching or whatever. And he's like, he's like, oh, doing yeah, the t- he's the wearing sweatpants. And then it shows like, can't remember what the caption was, but it was like, when your
3: parents leave you alone for the weekend to run your football team. yeah that's the best he's he's hilarious man and some either you think he's funny or you think he's faking it and he's egotistical you know what i mean like that there's a lot of people like that people that i that i won't mention his name but people that i respect a bunch are like bro i went to school for psychology and that dude right there is full of himself and he tries to put on this facade of oh i'm a nerd i'm stupid and yeah, but anyway, I'm, I'm I haven't figured myself out. I'm, I'm not gonna try to figure other people out. <laughs> um, Sam H in the chat said, "Rest in peace, Paul Brown." What what is that word, Tim? Pro, pro,
0: progenitor progenitor progenitor, progenitor. progenitor of right. the Regenitor
3: of the Ohio River offense. All right, got gotcha. you. He's the creator of the Ohio River offense, <laughs> later known as the West Coast offense. So,
0: west yeah. West, y'all. <laughs>
3: west, west. since y'all brung it up um so basically the way that came about long story short paul brown was the oc in cincinnati i'm sorry uh, uh bill walsh was the oc in cincinnati under paul brown he completely constructed that ran that offense paul brown actually didn't create that offense okay and it was called the midwest offense is what it should have been called but the only reason it happened is because their starting quarterback who had a strong arm got hurt and Bill Walsh had to come up with a plan. I think they traded for Virgil Carter, I believe was his name. They bring him in. Short, short passing game, extremely accurate, not much arm strength, kind of mobile. Um, they said, hey, let's design a short passing system for him. That's where it actually got started. But as far as Paul Brown, you guys may not know this, the Cleveland Browns, that they're, they're named after him. They're actually named after Paul Brown. Um, and then when he goes to Cincinnati and everything – uh, kind of takes off there. One of the things he did, I believe, before he went to Cincinnati, you know the face mask, he created the face mask. A lot of people don't know that. I believe him and another guy had the patent on the first face mask because his player got his face broke. When I say face broke, I mean like several bones in his face broke where people were punching him back then. And he created this very, uh, very durable, about the size of your pinky guard that would deter people from hitting in the face because it would break their hand. Another thing he did too was – he would have a coach on the upper level take pictures of Polaroids of the place, right? And he would put it on a zip line and take it down to the sideline. And Paul Brown would have Polaroid pictures over there. Shake it like a Polaroid. You know what I'm saying? Like and in <laughs> place. That was your first film study, essentially. He created that. And he actually paid up. Before they came up with the zip line, he actually got a little boy out of the stands one day, a fan, and said, hey, I'll give you $5 or whatever. If you'll run pictures, you know, down to me from up there, like, heck yeah, I'll do it. So he was actually relaying the pictures down to Paul Brown. Paul Brown was an absolute pioneer of pro football. Um, love that guy. So anyway, nerding out over here, we got to move on. We're way over time, Jacob. Let's wrap this thing up. Anything else you want to hit on, dude?
2: Uh, just real quick, that quarterback who ended up getting hurt was Greg Cook, 6'4, 200 plus pound uh, quarterback, who ended up tearing the rotator cuff. And that's what eventually led to uh Virgil Carter rocking in there. I believe Virgil Carter, too, was one of these weird guys out of BYU, which came from Steve Young. There was a whole bunch of different people that came out of that BYU system too. Was kind of
3: yes. Cool. Yes. Yep. And that's another reason why Bill Walsh wanted them was because the West Coast offense is synced up with footwork, right? Everything's timing based. Three step drop, by the time your your third step hits, you should have already been through your first two reads. All right. Five step drop, you've got time for three reads. Like it's amazing the sequence that everything ties together. He was a stickler, dude. Bill Walsh, he demanded excellence. He told Randy Cross, that same guy I mentioned earlier, he said he pulled Randy Cross in because it was uh, he was wanting a new contract, and he pulled him into his office and said, uh, "Yeah, you uh, you could probably play another four or five years in the league. You won't do it here, he and <laughs> I only want you good years." He said, "Randy Cross, like I wanted to hit him in the mouth. Like what are you? <laughs> he was, he was so." But that was Bill Walsh, man. He was. Straightforward, but at the same time he he loved his players. He just couldn't if you watch a football life, Bill Walsh, you would not regret it. It is absolutely awesome. It's on YouTube. That's where that clip came from. But he talked about Joe Montana on there talks about the last time he spoke to him. You know, Bill Walsh was dying of some kind of terminal illness. And he said he went in there and he said, We just had a long conversation. It was great. And he said, I got up to leave. I told him I loved him. And as I went to walk out of the room, he said, Hey Joe. And he's like, Yeah, he said, You don't owe me any money, do you? He's money before he died. <laughs> like He was just joking with him, but he said that's just how he was. He was absolutely awesome. Another thing, too, his press secretary, I think is the proper term, was uh the former coach for the Baltimore Ravens that won a Super Bowl, Brian Billick. A lot of people don't know this. Yeah, yep. He handled the press for Bill Walsh, and he actually wrote that book with Bill Walsh. Um, hmm. Really, really cool stuff. And you guys just – BYU with him too. Yeah. yeah, there you go. And he goes on to be a head coach and – the Super Bowl with the Ravens. That's just awesome. And all this stuff is documented. That's why I love the Aaron Rodgers Tuesday stuff. And people get mad because they don't agree with what he says. Like, thank God that all this stuff has been put on film for us. Because you could go back and relive it. Like a football life. If you if you haven't watched every single episode of a football life and there's multiple seasons, you're you're missing out, man. You're missing out. It's uh it is absolutely awesome. So all right, let's see here. Appreciate the kind words there, Goose. I ain't gonna put it up. I don't want to be egotistical here but thank you so much man that means the world coming from you dude i've got so much respect for you bub. um let's see here oh here we go goosa we're going to read this one though baby he says i have a conspiracy corner for you He says Goose says I have a conspiracy corner. Matt LaFleur is crapping the bed on offense so he can get his brother in here.
0: Oh boy. Wow. That offense in New York, man. Cotton garbage with, running it.
3: Ooh, I don't know, Jacob. What do you think, man? You're the conspiracy guys. or something to that?
2: I don't know about that one. I have an even better one than Goose's though. Did you guys see that uh there's an actual like hushing or uh, uh whisperings that LaFleur or I'm sorry, that Rogers I don't know if you guys saw. It is pretty impressive. He's already, like, throwing the ball, walking without a boot, walking without crutches. They're saying that he's going to come back just after the 65% mark is done despite the Packers. Mm. I don't know why that would
4: actually help him at all. But
2: 65%. It is incredible to see how fast that dude is feeling. Like, I don't know what
0: shaman
3: he went to this time. but I'm going to show cool. it. I'm going to try to find it here real quick, okay? You, Tim,
0: go ahead. Say something smart. Well, I saw the video clip. Yeah. He see it. <laughs> I, I mean, I saw it. You see it once, you get it. You know, he's not on crutches. Um, I think, you know, maybe, uh, maybe Aaron's just like, screw it. I'm going to come back as soon as possible. And if I come back too soon and I, I heard it again or whatever, it is what it is. I think, you know, he realizes clearly, you know, how many years does he have left in that body and, you I think it's very telling that he had the surgery immediately and he started rehab immediately and doesn't surprise me at all to see this already from him. Um, That is a pretty good conspiracy theory, though, the whole 65% deal and it might line up, you know, perfect with uh, his rehab regiment and, you know, the Jets having a pretty good defense and able to stick these games out and keep themselves, you know, in the mix. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he came back this year at all. I really don't because he's, he's kind of got, uh, he, you know, he, he put all his chips in the, in the, in there as well, you know, and so did the jets when they did this deal. And so I think, uh, he'd rather go down swinging than just say, Hey, I got hurt week one, you know, four snaps in or whatever. And my season's over. I don't think he's willing to close the door yet. Um, so we'll see if he plays If he plays again this year, it won't shock me at all. Now the whole intentionally not playing 65% of the season. um, I don't know about that, but we're getting pretty close, right? We got to be, you know, in a few more weeks here, we're getting to the point where, you know, let's be honest, we're not going to see him come back mid season. This would probably be what week 13, 14, 15 and forward kind of scenario. People might be speculating that he could return to the field, but you know, not all of that's up to him either. There's, right, you know, right. physicals, he's got to clear and all that. So, but I, I like the, I like the conspiracy theories. Um, and hopefully, hopefully goose is wrong about his cause. Yeah. I don't, I don't think we need another LeFleur in need uh, Bay. I'm not trying to sound like a hater, but. No, you
3: just ask him for, you're asking for trouble when you bring in a family member like that, you know, personally, that's, yeah. that's the way I see it anyway. Yep. I'm to yeah. be wrong. But, uh, all right, cool. Let's wrap this thing up, man. We went way over. I'm sorry. Um, hopefully that stuff helped. Uh, we had some injury news. I'm going to hit it real quick. I promise, real quick here. Um, this came from uh, Rob Domofsky. Post by practice, okay? It's nothing official, but here's what he said about practice today. Aaron Jones's hamstring, or Aaron Jones with the hamstring, was back on the field after missing last Monday's game, which we've seen that before. Let's hope it's legit this time. Quay Walker knee uh, and Devondre Campbell ankle. We're rehabbing outside. Darnell Savage, calf, and Zane Anderson hamstring were back practicing. So sounds like Quay and Devondre are going to be questionable, most likely. I would say Aaron Jones should be good to go. We're hoping also Matt Schneiman tweeted this Eric Stokes could join the 53 this week for the first time in 11 and a half months, uh, but there's no apparent spot for the 2021 first rounder to play substantial snaps when ready. He was quoted as saying, It don't matter where I'm at. I just want to be back out there with y'all. And, uh, of course, Matt Schneiman's got a story that you can click on there, probably with The Athletic, if you subscribe to that website. So, uh, good stuff there. So, let's just come out this week, man. Again, if they if if the game plan last week would have been simple, I think we beat the Raiders. That's what's frustrating to me. Um, and uh, I don't want to start another conspiracy gate here, but it just, I don't know, it just kind of feels like everybody's like, Matt, listen, just go out there and try a bunch of stuff. Let's see what we got. Let's evaluate this year and then. If Jordan isn't the guy, then guess what? We'll uh, we'll go get another quarterback. Which, by the way, you guys are going to hate this take. I'm not a big Caleb Williams guy. I'm not personally, and it ain't got nothing to do with the three interceptions he threw against my Notre Dame Fighting Irish. I don't like his leadership skills. Okay, his like he's he's the guy who had the F F I think it was F U N D on his nails painted. You know, and it, what great quarterback has ever? Came across
0: like that. You know, that's yeah, my. That's goal. that's the Darius Baker Smith Mayfield. school.
3: What's that? Baker Mayfield. Yeah. Baker did, they, Mayfield. did they win yesterday? No, they did. They yeah, lost a yeah. lot. Uh,
0: yeah.
3: But anyway, um, Johnny Manziel is another one. That comes to mind. Boy, he's supposed to be an absolute superstar, right? And again, Caleb, Caleb's got a lot of talent, a lot of raw talent. But if, if you notice the big plays he makes, it's off script, right? There's not an offensive coach in the league that's like, hey, guys. I, I want a guy who takes the check down. I want a guy who leads the defense properly. I want that type of quarterback, right? Because um, I don't know. It's I don't see it with Caleb. A ton of upside, no doubt about it. But uh, people are comparing him to Patrick Mahomes and this and that. Uh, Goose said, how about May? I like Drake May a lot. I really do. Um, there's a lot of quarterbacks in this draft. That's why I'm like, the person who sells the farm to get Caleb, oh, by the way, he made, like, if I understood correctly, it is legit, I believe, y'all correct me if I'm wrong, but he made, like, specific demands of the team he wants to play for because he's got a list of
0: five teams he wants to play for,
3: and that's it. I mean, take, think about that. Is that who you want on your team? Like, no. Dude, someone's like, hey, listen, I'm so good that I should be able to pick them.
0: i go, shut up. Dude.
3: Yeah. There's just – there's a lot of red flags in that regard. And then, of course, against Notre Dame, he threw two interceptions – Cameron catches him on the sideline, cussing his offensive lineman out. And in the very next drive, he turns around, throws another interception, basically steals the game for him. Like, I don't know. Tough, 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 tough. All right, Jacob, you got
0: anything, buddy? No. Nope. No, nope, I'm good. Tim? Go, Pat, go. <laughs> uh, let's get <laughs> over the injury bug. And uh, I'm praying for Quay Walker and Man. Devondre Campbell this week. I need Quay week. back. Yeah. And Stokes too. I've, you know, I'm rooting for Stokes to have a crack at it. Uh, we, we could certainly use, use him, um, on the field. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it'll be nice to see him get some reps, hopefully slowly, but surely. So
3: one game at a time, man, one game at a time, go out there, keep it simple, keep it simple, stupid, Michael Scott. Right. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, just, uh, one game at a time, one drive at a time. Let's lean on what we're good at. Let's get back to the basics of this offense. That's where you're going to get true evaluation, man. Go out there, beat Denver, boat race them, get back on track, three and three. Let's make a run at the playoff.
0: <laughs> all right,
3: we're out here, guys. Thank you all so much for hanging out with us. Really appreciate you all. Um, for those of you listening on the pod, thank you for making us a part of your day. As always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world, and go, pack, go.
1: The power sweep, actually, it's the – it's a lead play in our, in our offense. Tell come tackle, take the defensive end if he's over, if he's back, you he drive down the first man who's inside. We pull back, and get him, take the first man outside the offense, No one shows, you right by them and field him back. If the YN
2: has the linebacker taken out, that's inside. If the YN has the linebacker in, he
1: comes all the way around. To look at this play where we'll we're trying to get a seal here and a seal here and try to run this play in the alley.